0: The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston Read by Daniel Meyer By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 6. Columbus, Ohio Pastor Samuels awoke suddenly and glanced at his alarm clock. It read 1.55 a.m. Was I dreaming or did I hear something? He leaned over and nudged his wife who lay beside him. Did you hear something? She mumbled incoherently as he shook her gently. Hey, honey. She turned sluggishly and looked at him with weary eyes. I heard something. I'm going to go have a look around. He reached over into his nightstand and grabbed his 44 Magnum pistol. He got up from his bed and tiptoed toward the door. Holding his gun up above his head he slowly opened his door and peeked down the hall into his living room. A lamp in the kitchen cast long shadows of the dining room chairs and table across the living room floor. He inched his way down the hallway into the living room. His mind wandered to troubling scenarios and his pulse rate quickened. He squinted to try and see into the shadows before he made his way into the living room. Then he heard a sudden squeak in the dining room. He turned quickly around the corner with his forty-four leading the way and the barrel ended up six inches in front of the face of an unknown man. Gripped by fear, the intruder threw his hands up in the air. Don't shoot! It's me! Pastor Samuels was knocked back two feet just from the shock of the intruder's cry. David Jameson, I almost killed you. The youngest of their children awoke and began to cry in their bedroom at the end of the hall. Mrs. Samuels came out of the room, a look of horror on her face. It's okay. Pastor Samuels consoled his wife as he placed the handgun between his pendulous belly and his gray sweatpants. What do you think you are doing, David? I wanted to get in and see you undetected just in case you were being watched. Your back door wasn't shut all the way. Really? Pastor Samuels walked over and opened the partially ajar door. He looked out into the forest, dimly lit by a full moon in a cloudless sky. Let's go outside and talk so we won't disturb the girls. He walked outside and pulled the door shut behind him. Where are Darlene and the kids? They're on Magnolia at the Danes' old house. What are you going to do? We're moving to Texas. Hey, who's that? I think somebody has entered Ronald Samuel's house. A federal agent in the garage of a foreclosed home about five blocks away put his hands over his headphones and listened intently. "'Wake up!' He kicked the mattress next to him, trying to rouse his slumbering partner. "'Wake up! I think it's David Jameson!' "'David Jameson?' The second agent wiped his eyes and sat up. "'David Jameson is at the Samuels' house? "'Hold on.' After a moment of silence, he said, "'Ron Samuels and his wife are talking.' He listened carefully as Ron Samuels told his wife that David was heading to pick up his family at the Danes' old house. The agent's eyes widened. "'Who are the Danes?' "'The Danes?' "'I think I remember them from our briefing. "'Aren't they former church members who moved away?' The sleepy agent nodded, checked his handgun to be sure that it was loaded, and then sat at a chair in front of an open laptop. The agent with the headphones said, David Jameson is heading to pick up his family at the Danes' old house. It's got to be one of Ron Samuel's rentals. The second agent typed into a search engine on the laptop in front of him. I'm searching for the address among Jameson's known contacts. I'll get Hamilton on the phone. We've got to beat him there. There it is, Elijah, on the left. Here, stop and let me out. I'll drive around the block. I'll stop my third time around to see if you are ready. Sounds good. David opened the door and his heart danced, knowing that he would see his wife and his girls in just a few moments. He jumped out of the side door of the van and quickly ran out of the glow of the street lamp into the shadows of a tree in the front yard. David felt like there were eyes in the trees as he made his way down the driveway and up the stairs to the front porch. Whatever happened, he had already decided he would not be disappointed. He had accepted beforehand whatever fate God willed for him. The lights were off on the front porch and inside the house. He knocked gently three times. Not a peep. He knocked again and waited about a minute. Nothing. I'm sure this was the Dane's old house, he thought to himself. He jumped off the front porch and ran around to the side windows, tapping on each as he passed them. Darlene, Darlene, he whispered. His heart jumped when he heard the faint cry of a baby inside the house. He tapped the windows more forcefully. Darlene, he called out a little bit louder. Darlene rushed to the window and it was as if his feet had finally crossed the Jordan into the promised land. Oh, my love. Oh, thank God, David, it's you. The distant street lamp dimly illuminated her soft girlish features and her silky ivory nightgown. Her voice and appearance quickened her husband's heart rate. It had only been a few days since they were together, but still he missed her terribly. Get the girls out of bed and let's go. Now? Go where? Let me in the front door. She nodded and disappeared into the shadows. The front door was ajar a second or two after he got there. He walked into the dark foyer and gave his wife a brief peck and a hug. He knew that she would not be satisfied until they had a lengthy conversation, but time was of the essence. "'Gather the girls' things, and I'll get the girls.' As he spoke, he turned to look out the open front door to see Elijah's van making its first trip around the block. He shut the front door and Darlene whispered, "'Where are we going?' "'I'll tell you on the way.' He gave her another brief hug. "'I missed you so much.' Darlene took advantage of the embrace to give her husband a soft kiss on the lips. "'I've been praying so hard for you.' "'Shh!' David whipped around to look out the window. Darlene jolted at David, startling. In the dim light, she could see that worry had suddenly arrested her husband. He thought he heard brakes squeal in front of the house. He looked through the curtain covering the small window on the front door in time to see the shadowy figures of two men get out of a car, handguns raised. Oh no, they found us. Oh God, help us. Darlene became stiff with fright. Who? Federal agents. What do we do? He looked through the crack in the front door curtain to see the shadow of one of the men running around the left side of the house. He waved his wife back down the hall. She was moving slowly so he grabbed his wife by the arm and guided her quickly through the first open door on the left into a small bathroom. His mind raced and his wife prayed silently. Where are the girls? His wife pointed into a closed door across from the bathroom. Stay with them, he ordered as he nudged her toward the room. As soon as the bedroom door was shut, he heard a twist on the doorknob of the front door. He desperately looked around the bathroom by the light of the Precious Moments nightlight on the wall for something to wield. The only sound was the eerie scrape of a branch against the small gray window in the shower. He heard a click in the front door lock, the door slowly squeaked open, and the floor creaked slightly as the man began to make his way down the hall then all was silent. Sweat began to trickle down David's brow. He bumped the porcelain lid of the tank behind the toilet and it let out a terrifying squeak. He again heard movement down the hallway. David turned and carefully grabbed the porcelain lid on one side, lifting it and holding it up in the air like a baseball bat. He stood motionless against the sink so as not to be seen as the intruder tiptoed down the dark hallway. Then he heard the faint cry of his youngest daughter in the bedroom across the hall. His mouth went dry and his palms became sweaty. His heart beat so strongly that he could feel the arteries in his neck bulge with each adrenaline-filled beat. He slowly peeked around the doorway and saw the silhouette of a man reaching for the doorknob of his daughter's room. He stepped into the hallway, swinging the porcelain lid as hard as he could at the man's face. It cracked in half across the man's forehead. Whack! The agent's neck snapped back and he fell motionless to the ground. Thud! Darlene let out a brief, shrill scream in the bedroom and the girls started crying. Suddenly the doorknob to the back door began to move, then a long moment of breathless silence was interrupted by a loud crash as the second federal agent kicked in the back door and pointed his gun at the silhouette of a man in the hallway. Freeze! Freeze! David's racing mind slowed to a halt and for a moment he thought he might never see his family again. That's it, he thought. I surrender, he uttered softly. Please let my family be. Get on the ground now! The agent grasped his gun tightly, keenly aware that he was aiming it at the most wanted man in America. I'll never see them again, David thought as he slowly prostrated himself on the floor. Oh God, he whispered desperately. Help us now. Put your hands on thump! David looked up in time to see the agent fall unconscious face first to the ground. Behind him stood a silhouette of a man holding an object in both hands. Elijah! You guys better hurry before he wakes up. The agent on the floor moved slightly and moaned as Elijah spoke, so he gave him another thump on the back of his head with the butt of his shotgun. Then he bent down to pick up the intruder's handgun. Darlene opened the door with the two youngest babies crying in her arms. She had thrown some of their clothes over one of her shoulders. The eldest child was at her side clutching her thigh. Darlene looked at the agent that was on the floor in the hallway and she gasped. What happened? Are you all right? Go get in the van outside. David helped his wife step over the agent in the hallway. Quick! David scooped up his eldest daughter as Elijah bent down to pick up the second agent's pistol. He extended the pistol to David. You might need this. David refused Elijah's gift. No thanks. Elijah led them quickly down the sidewalk two houses away to the black van that was running idle in the driveway with its lights off. They got in the vehicle and skidded into reverse, then down the street away from the house. As Elijah took a left at the first intersection, he looked back and saw a large SUV skid to a halt in front of the house and four men get out. Just in time, said Jared, who sat in the front seat. Thank the Lord. David put his right arm around Darlene as she nursed their eight-month-old to try to quiet her. He stretched his other arm around his other two children. Thank God we made it. Mayfield, Kentucky. Jared was awakened at the crack of dawn by the howl of an irritated, crying baby. He turned to see Elijah driving and David staring straight ahead with one of his daughters asleep in his lap. His wife slept next to him with her head on David's shoulder. Where are we? David asked, halfway through a yawn. David took the last sip of a bottle of spring water. We are about two hours south of Cincinnati and we are due for a pit stop. Elijah pulled into the parking lot of a truck stop. Jared and David, you guys keep your heads down. I'll get some drinks and snacks for the kids. Size 4 baby diapers, too. Okay. Elijah stepped out of the car and shut the door gently so as not to wake the sleeping children. He pulled out his credit card to swipe it in the machine, thought twice about it, and decided against it. I'll have to use cash this trip. He opened his wallet as he walked into the store to prepay. As he walked through the aisles he turned and looked out at the parking lot and was horrified to see a highway patrol car park in front of the store. The officer stepped out of his vehicle and glanced briefly at Elijah's black van and a few other vehicles that were parked beside gas pumps. Then the officer turned to walk into the store. Elijah ignored the officer and kept shopping. He glanced at the cashier and then he saw the large photographs of Jared and David on a wanted poster. His heart stopped as he got a glimpse of a pencil sketch of an African-American male next to Jared and David's photographs, with the word WANTED under it in red caps. He vaguely recognized his facial features in the rough sketch that he presumed they had developed from security cameras inside the National Reproductive Rights Convention. He looked around and tried to think of a way out of the building without bringing attention to himself. He looked back at the sketch. Are my lips that big? He sucked his lips in to make them appear smaller as the officer walked toward him. The officer turned toward the counter and beckoned to the clerk manning the cash register. "'Excuse me, have you seen either of those two men tonight?' he gestured toward the photographs of David and Jared. "'No, sir.' "'How about this person?' he held out a third photograph. "'Is that my photograph he is showing him?' Elijah wondered if it would be better to make a break for the door rather than wait patiently in the line, but he thought it would breed suspicion if he set his goods down without paying for them. After studying the photo, the clerk responded, "'No, sir.' "'Well, keep your eye open for them. Call 911 immediately if you see them.' Elijah was about to turn to walk to the back of the store when the officer flashed three by 7 photographs of David, Jared, and Darlene toward him and the man in front of him in line. Elijah sighed with relief when he saw that the third photo was not of him. Recognize any of these people? No, the man in front of Elijah replied. The officer repeated the question to Elijah and he responded, I think I saw those two fellows on the news. Aren't they responsible for the bombing in Columbus? Yes, they are. We have a massive interstate manhunt underway to find them. Elijah looked over the officer's shoulder to see the side door of his van open and Darlene step out to stretch her legs. For a split second he panicked, but tried not to show it on his face. Don't you see the patrol car? Get back in the car, he thought. As the officer continued, they are armed and very dangerous. Call 911 immediately if you spot them. The officer turned to leave and Elijah grabbed his attention again before the officer could see Darlene standing next to his van. Uh, sir, I have another question for you. Uh, are there any other suspects at all or do you know for certain that these guys were responsible for the crime all by themselves? It looks like these are our guys. Please call if you see them. We'll do, Elijah said with a nod. When the officer was about to turn away, Elijah tapped him on the shoulder. One more thing. Are there any leads? Do you know what kind of vehicle they were driving? He looked over the officer's shoulder briefly to see Darlene get back in the van at David's urging and shut the door. Finally, now stay. No, but we know they are probably heading south. They have three young kids with them. Elijah sucked his lips in and nodded. Thanks for your help. The officer then turned and walked back out of the store, got into his car, and drove away. Elijah stepped up to the counter, paid for his goods and his fuel with cash, then walked inconspicuously back out to the vehicle. When he opened the door to place the goods in the van, he whispered, Don't get out again. Stay low. Then he went around to the driver's side to pump the gasoline. When he got back into the van, Darlene apologized with agony in her voice. I didn't see the patrol car. I'm so sorry. They know we are headed south. How? Asked Jared. I have no idea. We can't go south now. We're going to have to find an alternative route to Texas. We should probably take the back roads west for at least a couple hundred miles before we start going south again. Jared hand me the map in the glove compartment. Map? Don't you have a GPS? I do, but they have a sketch of me. Do they know who you are? Darlene asked. The sketch doesn't bear my likeness too well, but they may figure it out. My GPS is registered to me, and if they identify me, I don't want them to triangulate my GPS to find me. It's the same reason I took my batteries out of my cell phone. As they drove, breaking news was broadcast of the firebombing of a Denver clinic where a renowned physician committed late-term abortions and the unrelated homicides of two abortion providers the day before. Two down and a thousand to go, Jared cheered as he made a fist into the air. Elijah looked in the rearview mirror to see David's response to Jared's humor. David acted as if he didn't hear it. Pro-lifers are resorting to violence because they don't feel like they have anything to lose now, Darlene commented. I mean, if they're going to jail for being peaceful, what do they have to lose for taking out a baby killer? They're being pushed over the edge. David responded, they have the blessing of God to lose Darlene. David, Elijah asked, why didn't you take the gun when I handed it to you? Their eyes met and David replied, I wasn't going to shoot anybody, Elijah. Jesus said to turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Is that what you were doing when you knocked that first agent unconscious by cracking a toilet lid across his face? Jared laughed at the comment, but David did not think it was funny. Elijah continued, amazing how reality will mess up your theology sometimes, isn't it? If killing that guy would be murder, then knocking him out cold like you did would certainly qualify as assault, wouldn't it? Yup, Jared smiled. Assault with a toilet. That'll be 20 years in the slammer for assaulting an FBI agent with a toilet. Elijah and Darlene snickered, but David still managed to keep a straight face. It was instinct, David responded. "I, I didn't have time to think. The guy was about to go into the room where my kids and my wife were with a cocked gun. Elijah asked, Is your conscience bothered because you followed your instinct and used force to stop that man from unjustly kidnapping your wife and kids? David just sighed and shook his head as he tried to reconcile his conscience's lack of objection to what he did with his theological commitment to nonviolence. Clearly the instruction to turn the other cheek is referring to taking an insult without returning one, Elijah explained. If someone whacks you on one side of your face with a tire iron, or a toilet lid, Jared interjected, you are not obligated to let him whack you on the other. That's crazy. You can block it. You can run away. Defending yourselves and others is biblical, David. According to Exodus 22, if a man broke into someone's house at night, the homeowner was justified in killing the burglar. There was no guilt for it in God's law. Now, you don't have to kill somebody to defend yourself, but if you think that lethal force is necessary to protect yourself and your family, then God doesn't consider you a murderer. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, David rebutted, but mighty through God to the pulling down of spiritual strongholds. We don't war against flesh and blood. Didn't Jesus command his disciples to buy a sword, said Jared? Yes, Elijah agreed. In Luke chapter 22, the disciples may have escaped arrest in Gethsemane because they had those two swords. Most of the time a gun's used to stop a crime, it's never fired. It's the unarmed who become victims. Jesus rebuked Peter for using that sword, David answered. While Peter was trying to stop Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, that was wrong. But defending yourself isn't. It was Jesus, not the devil, who told them to keep a sword. Jesus said to flee persecution, David replied, and that's what we see Jesus and the apostles doing. Come on, David, you're being stricter than God. That's only one of the biblically justifiable ways to respond to assault. Listen to your own conscience. You can physically resist evil authority, David. David was unconvinced by Elijah's arguments and not amused by Jared's occasional attempt at humor. This talk of violence does nothing but hurt the pro-life movement. Some pro-life fanatic blew up the Civic Center and killed the president and 3,000 pro-aborts. Do you think that helped the pro-life movement? Has it ever occurred to you that the pro-life movement is not moving, Jared remarked? We're no closer to outlawing abortion now than we were in 1973. Holding up signs in front of an abortion clinic is good if they are aborting puppies inside, but the slaughter of innocent babies very well might require more forceful means, especially after 50 years of judicial tyranny. I think states would have been justified using force to resist federal tyranny in 1973 when the Supreme Court legalized baby murder on demand nationwide, Elijah opined. If that didn't justify secession, nothing does. What England did to the colonies pales in comparison to a holocaust of 65 million children. David was disgusted with this talk of violent revolution. No, I won't accept it. Killing people to stop abortion or otherwise promote righteousness is not Christian. Elijah was surprised by David's unreasonable dogmatism on this subject. The Bible's full of godly violence, David. Why do you discriminate against the preborn? What? David raised his voice, exasperated. If the feds were killing the elderly or blacks or your kids, you wouldn't be giving me this nonsense that condemns forceful defense of the innocent. You cannot deny the fact that defensive force to stop a murder or an assault is a legitimate use of force in the law of God. In our society's discrimination against the preborn is unjustified. The unborn are people, David, little people. I know that, Elijah, but our argument is about the means, not the end. The battle against abortion will be won or lost through faith and prayer, not on the battlefield of violence. I'm going to spend my last breath opposing abortion, but I do not believe it is the Lord's will to take up arms to stop abortion. It is never right to do wrong to do right. David's eyes met Elijah's in the rearview mirror, and then it hit him all at once. Maybe Elijah blew up that civic center. Elijah discerned his thoughts. Don't look at me like that, David. I did not blow up the civic center. I was practicing peaceful protest. Exhibit A, said David, pointing at Elijah with both index fingers. Your actions speak louder than your words and prove my point. Thank God that's the case. Otherwise, I'd turn you in myself. Thank you for listening to this reading from the Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's Novels.com. O oh Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.